Cool. So it's been an amazing uh, Easter season. We've been looking over the last uh, few days, really from Palm Sunday through Monday, Thursday. Uh, we didn't have a service Monday, Thursday, but uh, through that and through Good Friday, it was amazing to be out at the farm with the Patchels and with, uh, with all of you out there just enjoying that beautiful day and celebrating uh, what Jesus did for us and remembering what he did for us uh, on the cross and, and connecting around that. And this morning, uh, we celebrate the, the empty tomb. This amazing moment in history. An amazing moment in history where we see God conquer death in space and time in a tangible, real way, in a way that everybody could see in that space Everybody could see in that time and in that culture that death had been defeated. Death had been defeated. Uh, just, Just a note, just a nod to the fact of the resurrection as a historical event. That this isn't just Christianity saying, yeah, this is something that we believe by faith. This is something that we imagine that happened. This is something that uh, sort of, uh, we sort of believe that, yeah, it sounds like it could have happened. Maybe it happened, should have happened, did happen, I don't know. But it's something that we really believe uh, happened historically. And there's so much amazing historical evidence. I often point to a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses that uh, is really just one of the best documented uh, looks at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Looking at really the arguments and really the evidence of uh, people talking to people talking to people and how Christianity spread through the Roman world at that time and, and how the only factor that could have really made the story of Christianity spread like it did was the fact that it was based on some historical thing that really happened. People weren't just having a good feeling, but something had really happened. And, and people gathered around that idea. So, so we celebrate the empty tomb this morning. We celebrate that incredible story. But the question sort of remains for us. Like we, we, in our culture, maybe less and less in Canada, sort of know the story. We know the historical outline of what Christians believe. Jesus was born. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave. We understand the outlines of the story. But the question uh, remains for us, is it, is it relevant? Like, how is that really relevant? That thing that happened so many years ago. How does that really affect us now? What does that mean for me here in Carleton Place? What does it mean when I get up in the morning on a Tuesday and start thinking about my work day? What does that mean for me when I think about going to school? When I think about coming into this high school as a student or or into Notre Dame, or into uh, any of the other schools in this area. What does, it, what does this really mean for us? Is it just something that happened that we sort of celebrate and we're happy about? Is it something that means something for us after death? Yeah, it means something for us after death. We, we live forever. We, we are to be resurrected. Life is to come for us forever. But as we talked about on Good Friday... The salvation that comes through Jesus, the salvation that comes through the cross, isn't a, a, a salvation that came so that we could enter a period of waiting till we're dead and then we go to heaven. Right? The, come on. 
<laughs> like salvation for us isn't just uh, like a card, a, a little membership card that once we, we get that little membership card, we're good. We put it in our back pocket. We go about our lives. We do our stuff. We, we hang out with our friends. We have our careers. We retire. We die. And then we go to heaven. It, it, it's not about that. Obviously, what we talked about on Good Friday was that uh, the salvation that Jesus brought was to eternal life and that eternal life starts today. Eternal life starts today. We start living now the life that we are to live in eternity, right? There's something more. There is a vocation for us, that there is a purpose for us. There's a plan for us. Uh, there's a destiny for us. There's something that God is calling us to. And so that's what we're celebrating, that life. But how does that all work? We looked at Good Friday at this passage in Romans chapter 8, and we just sort of read it at the end, but I want us to unpack it now. Let's just read this, but, but let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these uh, scriptures. Thank you that these words are not just words on a page, but there's something living and active in them, that they have power, that as we read them, they transform us. We open ourselves up to the transformative power of your word as we, as we read it, that it would go deep, that, that pieces of it would cut to the very core of who we are. We would be changed. Father, as I share this message, give me grace. Let me uh, hear the extra things that you want to say that I didn't prepare for. And let me uh, not say the things that I prepared for that shouldn't have been said. Holy Spirit, lead me in this moment. Lead us, Father. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's read this again as we read it on Good Friday and we'll unpack it. Uh, Romans 8, 31 to 39. If God is for us... Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sore? As it is written, for your sake we faith death, death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read this on Good Friday, celebrating this sense that we have a vocation, we have a calling, we have a life that's full of destiny that carries us forward from this moment uh, into our careers, into our homes, into our workplace, into our schools, everywhere we go. Salvation for us, the destiny for us, eternity for us starts now. And so in Romans 1, uh, 8, 31 to 39, Romans, it says, it says, for if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What we have in the very first part of Paul's understanding what the resurrection means here is a sense that the giving of the life of Jesus, the way that we got to the resurrection through the death of Christ, that the giving of that gift of Jesus is a promise to us, is a sign to us, is something that we can read to see the generosity of God. The incredible generosity of God. The God who gave us his son, how could he not give us everything else that we need? Why would he give us that and not give us everything else? Why would he give us that gift of Jesus and not give us his life? in every way. And through the generosity of God giving his son, we we have an incredible sign that God is generous to us in every area of our lives. And this phrase, graciously give us all things, graciously give us all things, is from a, a Greek word that is charizomai, which is similar to that word charismatic, similar to that word charisma, that word grace, which means it's a, it's a gift. It's a generous gift, but what that particularly means when you see that formation of it is it's talking about a gift of favor. It's talking about a gift of favor. Uh, not necessarily a gift just of a, of a physical thing, not necessarily just a gift of a practical thing, not necessarily a gift of, of food and clothes and cars and all these sort of things that that we're constantly blessed with, we're so wealthy in our culture, but this is a gift of favor, a gift that speaks to a position that we have relative to God. A position of favor. Now, if you're like me, most of us live with, most of the time, a sense that that we're actually mostly in disfavor and somehow trying to earn some favor with God. We mostly, if you're honest, when I'm honest, most often I sort of imagine that I'm, that I'm in a bad place with God. I'm not in a right place with God. God can't possibly really favor me and love me. I've got too many messes going on. I, I, I eat way too much poutine. <laughs> I've got this propensity to do things that, that I shouldn't do. Uh, I've got tendencies in myself to go away from God, to waste his time and, 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 and be disobedient. And, and, and I just, I'm just not in a great place with God. Somehow, if I get everything together, somehow if I, if I get this stuff right, uh, then, yeah, then, then maybe I'll be able to cross that big dark line and get into a place of favor with God. But the gift that we receive through the cross is that we live on the upper side of that line all the time. Because of what Jesus did, you live in that space of favor with God. You live in that space of grace, or that's what you're invited into. You're invited into that space. And then it says this, says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? 
So what that means is that nobody can pull you back from that place of favor. You live in that place of favor with God. He looks with pleasure on you as his child. Then, then what can pull you back from that? Who can, who can take your life and say, you're condemned, we're going to seize your spiritual assets and throw you in jail? Because that's what we imagine, isn't it? Isn't that right? Isn't that what we sort of imagine? That as we displease God, as we make mistakes, as we fail, that somehow our, our spiritual assets will be seized. And that we're put back in jail, and all of the benefits of knowing God and following God and loving him, all of his love and grace and favor are, are now no longer with us. He goes on to say this, Jesus Christ who died... More than that, who is raised to life is at the right hand of God and who is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. So this is the space that we live in. We live in this space of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. If you look back at the passage, more than that, who is raised to life is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That is the characteristic of that space of favor that we live in. Right? That's the characteristic of this space of favor that we live in with Christ, is being loved by him. And what does that love mean? That love means his decision to bless us as love is a choice and that also means his affection for us and I don't think we connect with that very well as people in our culture but when you look at that Greek word for love that, that speaks of uh, his affection what God feels for you when he sees you he, he loves you with his heart he loves you in an emotional way he loves you in a passionate way. So that sense of love is what characterizes that space in which we live. That space of favor. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, talking to God about us, connecting us. And the way that works is that he is God, right? So it's a, it's a pretty good phone line. It's a pretty good connection. I don't think they have problems with their signal. Right? They, 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 they've got it. The Godhead gets it. The Trinity gets it. The Trinity is connected with you through Christ, and you are in a place of favor with God. We're going to talk practically about what that means, because this is what that means for Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? What this says is that that characteristic of love, that characteristic of favor, doesn't necessarily mean that you won't see these things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you won't see trouble, hardship, nakedness, famine, or sore. But what it does mean 
is that you do not fear those things. Because of the resurrection, you do not fear them. They don't mean to you what they mean to everyone else. That's what Christianity is about. You as believers live with a completely different view of all of that. You live in a completely different space where everybody else faces that. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Bring it! No fear! Now we don't face the, the, you know, a gun to our head all the time. But we do live with fear of death in so many spheres of our lives. We live with a fear of death in terms of the trouble that we might face, inconvenience we might face, the amount of work it might take to accomplish something feels like that's death to us in our culture because we're kind of wimps, if we're honest, here in North America, Right? We're kind of wimps. Oh, I might, I might, it's not really going to work out for me. Can't do this thing you might be calling me to God because I, I just don't have margin for it right now. Uh, it might mean a, a fear of sickness. It might mean fear of illness. I, I can't really do that thing you're called to me. I might get a cold. Uh, a sense of the nakedness. Like that's, isn't, that, isn't that just about being unprepared? I just don't have the resources I have. I need to have to do this thing you're calling me to do. I just don't have the stuff. I don't have it. I can't do that. I, I don't have what I need. Poverty. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. Uh, I can't give as I, as, I, as I feel like I should give because I just can't, I, I can't afford it. I can't figure out how to pay the bills. I'm afraid of that, that sense of poverty. Uh, I'm afraid I won't have enough. I'm afraid I won't have enough to retire with can't give in the way you want me to do because uh, I, I might not be able to pay everything I can need to to get my kids to college. Right? We, we deal with that fear of death, that fear of something negative, that fear of something bad happening to us. Uh, the risk of physical harm, danger, fear of conflict, the sword. Right? But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are able to live radically generous lives where everyone else faces those fears. Right? Radically generous lives. We can do all of those things. And that's what the apostles showed us. Like, like they were just time and time and time and time again going to the places, doing the things that seemed absolutely impossible to do. The reason that the early church literally exploded across the Roman world in that time uh, was because they just were not afraid of what would happen to them. Even unto death. They weren't afraid. I'm going to go preach the gospel. I don't care if they try to kill me. And some of them were killed. But what we know because of the resurrection is that you might time and time and time again go into the grave, into something that feels like death to you, but Jesus will time and time and time again bring you out. Time and time again, he'll bring you out. You can choose to do the risky thing, and Jesus will choose to do the miracle. Time and time again. It says this, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That means through his love we can follow him into his purposes for us in spite of inconvenience, 
in spite of sickness, when we're unprepared, it might cost us some money, at the risk of physical harm, and in conflict situations that we might not enjoy and might not make us comfortable. But we as Christians, what, what the resurrection means for us practically in the real world is that you can live above all of these things. You can absolutely live above, all, above them. You can live joyfully in the face of them. You can live happily in the face of them. You can live excitedly and passionately in the face of all of these things. You can choose to do the thing that God has called you to do, even when it doesn't seem like the thing that is going to be the easiest thing for you. Right? You can even preach on a Sunday morning when you have a fever of 102. Hypothetically speaking. God is so good. He's so generous. What the resurrection does for you is is helps you live beyond the limitations. To absolutely live beyond the limitations that everyone else sees for you. Uh, Kathleen Patchell... Uh, was an example of this just a few weeks ago. Was there any reason in your right mind that you should have gone to Ecuador a couple of weeks ago? (laughs) Right? Her her heart fibrillating, blood pressure medication going crazy, nosebleeds, eyes, crazy stuff. But she did not cancel the trip to Ecuador. I mean, I mean, I would have counseled her if I'd had the courage, like, don't go. Like, we want you not to be dead in two weeks. Like, this does not make sense. This does not make sense to do this. You're not healthy enough to do this missions trip. But, but God called her to go. Now, my friend Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Pullen, I mean, we just met him once in Guatemala. Like, this was a guy that was, like, wrestling, like, at the time. Like, he was having us visit him as a missions trip. The guy was sick as a dog, and he was standing on beams helping us build this school, this Sunday school. Sick as a dog, walking beams to build a mission school in, by a garbage dump in Guatemala. Because as a missionary, as a guy passionate about the gospel... Uh, he knew that if he had to go around the corner and puke, that was okay because he was building a mission school for kids in Guatemala. What can you do that you think you can't do? You can do those things that you don't have enough for. You can do those things that seem impossible because the power of the resurrection lives inside you. It's It's imperfect, we're full of trouble, we're full of pain, we're full of all of those kinds of things. But the power of the resurrection flows through your veins. And the kingdom advances through you when you decide to follow Jesus. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither the angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No spiritual power, 
angels or demons. We don't fear attack from the enemy, though the enemy might attack. But we, we don't fear that. That can't separate us from the love of God. Neither the present circumstances nor anything bad that might happen in the future. We're so afraid of the future, aren't we? Aren't we so afraid of the future sometimes? The future can't separate you from the love of God, no matter what happens. Nor any authorities, not the government, not the police, not your boss, not your principal. That person, your teacher, that person can't separate you from the love of God. Neither height nor depth. No place on the planet is a place where God won't go with you. There's no place on the planet where God won't go with you. Uh, you know, I was in, in Israel a number of years ago when I was just out of, uh, out of high school. And uh, we went to, I guess it was after my first year of Bible college. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. But I was about to get married to Anna. It was... Um, it was probably about three or four weeks before our wedding. I was away at school, and I was supposed to come back to Ottawa to help prepare for the wedding. And I felt I was called to go on a little missions trip, and I called my wife up, and I said, not yet my wife. And I said, Anna, I know I'm supposed to be there to help get ready for the wedding, but I really think I need to go to Israel and Egypt for a couple of weeks first. <laughs> and I jumped on this missions trip last minute and missed that two weeks of prep before the wedding and went to Israel and Egypt. And in a space like that, you know, uh, you know, neither height nor depth nor anywhere on the planet, there's no place we can't go. There's no place we can't go to declare the love of God and fulfill his purposes. There's nowhere we can't go. Nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. No viruses, no bacteria, no cold, no flu can separate you from the love of God. And what he's doing here is he's, he's saying that Christians are supposed to live in radical defiance of paganism. In radical defiance of the belief that the powers around us have any power over us whatsoever. The only thing that has power in our lives is the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question is, how do we receive the resurrected Jesus? How do we really receive that relationship? How do we really receive that sense of who he is? How do we connect with that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so reminded of just this little piece in the story in the book of John. Chapter uh, 20, 11 to 16, it says this, and this is just a moment in the story, and there's so many encounters with Jesus in the, in the resurrection story, but I just love this, and I think it's important for us. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She's gone there to just grieve and to just, just be with Jesus' body and to just, just be sad. It's really what she's gone there for, is just to be sad, to grieve and to, to, to say how much she misses him. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. The tomb had obviously been rolled open. One at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They said, they have taken my Lord away. I, I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. 
but she did not realize it was Jesus. And that's the place where so many of us stand. We follow Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but we believe in a little Jesus, and we hardly recognize him for who he is. For, for her, she saw him, but, he, but he, he, was, he was just a gardener. He looked like a gardener. There's something about our human mind and our human ability that, that we can't see the possibility when we're overwhelmed with fear and pain and doubt. We just can't see those possibilities. Like, it's so hard. To her, Jesus had died. She saw him die on the cross. And it was impossible for her mind to connect with the thought that it was actually him standing there in front of her. It's so hard for us to do that. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, let, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And I just love this little nod in Martha, nod to Martha in Mary. Just a side note. Mary is this one who loved to sit at the feet of Jesus. But here she sees a practical thing to do and tries to solve the solution practically. There's Martha and Mary together in this passage in the heart of Mary. And I just, I just think it's worth uh, just noting that. But thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where have you put him and I will get him. And this is where Mary gets it. This is where Mary gets it. Jesus said to her, Mary, And he called her by her name, and the penny dropped. He called her by her name. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All of a sudden, the lights come on. She turns to him, and she, she, she calls him rabbi. She calls him teacher. Her heart is all of a sudden filled with joy. And so many of us need this moment of revelation. We need to go from seeing Jesus as uh, something in the woodwork, something uh, in, the, in the air, something that's just a fixture in our lives, something that's like a piece of furniture or an idea, not the gardener, but we need to see Jesus as teacher. And when Jesus called Mary's name in that moment, she crossed over from not recognizing fully who he was to realizing who he was. And for some of you here this morning, Jesus is calling your name. He's calling your name. Aaron. Is he calling your name? Now you're all looking to see if your name's there. <laughs> I tried to pick the most unique names as best I could. And I promise I didn't get you all. But some of your names are there. I've lost you completely now, didn't I? But Jesus is calling your name. He's calling Kia, and he's calling Janelle. He's calling Michelle. He's calling Craig. He's calling Aaron. He's calling Anna and Toby and Ashley and Jack. John. He's calling you. He's calling Dan. He's calling you to himself. He's speaking your name. He's speaking your name. He wants you to see him as who he is. 
not a historical figure, but a resurrected person with whom you have relationship now who sets you absolutely free from fear. Absolutely free to live a life that is radically different from the lives of your friends. He has so much more for you. Let's stand up and pray. We face all kinds of death, all kinds of things that feel like death. We don't feel like we have enough money. We don't feel like we have enough strength. We don't feel healthy enough. We feel like bad things could happen. We're so full of so many fears. But in the midst of all of those fears, just like Mary had, would you simply speak our names? Would you let each person here feel in a very personal and clear way, you speaking their name. Come Holy Spirit. Would you let your love pour out as our names are spoken? And let all our fears be washed away. We're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of the bad things that could happen. We just want to follow you. Come, Holy Spirit. And right now, would you let there be some moments of realization for us? That you're not just a fixture, that you really are our teacher. You really are our Lord, and you want to be our Lord. And that in that, we cross over to a place of favor and joy and freedom. To 
those who have been fighting you for so long, been fighting a sense of call to serve, a sense of call to ministry and mission, a sense of call to salvation for the first time. For those who have been fighting, would there just be an ability to surrender and just receive your love? 